Washington Post article, November 21st, attributing the enduring skepticism about the Warren Commission to homophobia. So that's where we are. Let's get it out and open. That's what they think about people who don't believe that bullets can stop in midair and change direction. They've been telling you this for 59 years now, and you're still not buying it. So I've been going through these new document releases that just came out a couple weeks ago, and I'm finding some very interesting things here. I have a document here, a CIA document, and it's about a BBC broadcast on the Kennedy assassination cover-up. Uh, BBC, for those of you in Hickman County, that would be the British Broadcasting Network. And it says here that the program included interviews with James Hosey, identified as an FBI agent from Dallas, William Gaudet, described as a former CIA operative, and Antonio Vicenza, characterized as a Cuban CIA operative. Although presentation somewhat disjointed, general theme is that agency deeply involved in assassination and cover-up. Program presented in prestigious panorama slot, which has wide and large audience, will have considerable impact on viewers. So why would the CIA be so concerned about this documentary? They're not involved in this. They don't know anything about Lee Oswald. They've never talked to Lee Oswald. That's what they keep telling us. One of the names listed on this documentary, a former CIA operative named William Gaudet, who had been with the agency for over 25 years. But according to Gaudet, he only did errands for the CIA. What is that, run errands for the CIA? What is that, go pick us up some subway? I'm a Jersey Mike's guy myself. And of course, the Warren Commission never bothered to talk to Mr. Gaudet or interview him for any reason. Well, they should have. Because when the House Select Committee on Assassinations did their investigation, they found something very interesting. On the day that someone claiming to be Lee Oswald showed up at the Mexican border to receive a temporary visa. He was given visa number 824085. The person that received visa number 824084 was none other than William Gaudet. And Gaudet told the House Select Committee on Assassinations that it was just a coincidence that he happened to be standing behind Lee Oswald or someone impersonating Lee Oswald at the Mexican border and they had no way of knowing if Oswald had contacts with the CIA because my work with the CIA did not involve anything within the United States. William Gaudet published an anti-Castro newsletter in New Orleans in the summer of 1963. He said he frequently had seen Oswald distributing handbills for the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, a pro-Castro group, outside of his office. Gaudet said he knew Oswald by name and by sight, although they had never met. So here you have a CIA operative who knew and saw Oswald in New Orleans and then just happens to be standing behind him in line at the Mexican border to get a visa, either Oswald or this person impersonating Oswald. And it's all just a coincidence. Why do you need to see these documents? They've told you this is nothing but a big coincidence. Why can't you understand that and move on? Now, here's another interesting document that I've come across. It's a CIA document. It says, Cuba tidbits from late November. It says, on November 27th, Cuban official, named Blacked Out, spoke with another Cuban official posted in, that's Blacked Out, about the Kennedy assassination. Blank claimed that Brigadier General Fabian Escalante 
of the Minister of the Interior in Cuba was handling the matter and that he had information that could positively identify the Kennedy assassins. Just a little tidbit, nothing to be concerned about. Now, the next interesting document I found is from Richard Helms, Deputy Director of the CIA, to Jay Rankin, Lead Counsel of the Warren Commission. It's reports on travel and activities of Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, Oswald leaves New Orleans on a ship bound for England. And he gets there on October the 9th, 1959. He arrived in Southampton from New Orleans. And he told UK immigration officials that he planned to return to the UK before heading to college in Switzerland. That would be the Albert Schweitzer College in Switzerland, not the one in Pinewood. But the next day, he gets on a flight to Helsinki. Now, here's this guy who never has a job, never has any money, but he travels all over the world, gets in an airplane, and flies to Helsinki, Finland. He tries to get an immigration visa to get into Russia in Helsinki, and he's denied. So what does he do? Gets back on the plane and flies to Stockholm, Sweden. And when he gets to Stockholm, Sweden, he's granted a visa in two days. And this is what this document says. It was difficult to explain how Oswald might have received a visa in two days without going through normal channels. The only conclusion which can be drawn is that Oswald must have received his visa directly from the Soviet embassy in Stockholm, which is occasionally done in special cases. There is no record that exists that there was any request for a USSR visa processed through normal channels for Oswald at any time during 1959, but he gets one in two days. But he doesn't show up at the embassy in Moscow until October 31st, 1959. So where is he from the 10th or 11th of 12th of October to the end of October? Nobody seems to know. And it's during this time that I believe that he probably gave this information to the Russians about these U-2 flights. And by the time he got to the embassy to defect, he had already given them this information, which is why he was treated so well by the Russian government. Which leads me into the next document here, the CIA document from January 29, 1964, from an M.D. Stevens subject, the Lee Harvey Oswald case. And it talks about the two people immediately responsible for Oswald being permitted to return to the United States were State Department legal officer named Abram Chase, C-H-A-Y-E-S, legal officer of the State Department, and the other person, the other individual was Llewellyn Thompson, the U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union, and a third individual named Samuel Griffin Wise, Jr., counsel in the American embassy in Moscow, who apparently was once a contract employee, CIA on, on a CIA program only listed as AE Active. So Lee Oswald's request to return to the United States after he supposedly defects goes all the way to the United States ambassador to Russia, this Llewellyn Thompson. Just a- absolutely amazing, isn't it? Just absolutely amazing. John McCone, director of the CIA, testifying in front of the Warren Commission. Question, looking back now that you have the full record, do you feel that you received from the State Department adequate information 
at the time that they were aware of Oswald's defection and later activities in the Soviet Union. Did you get the full-time information from the State Department on these particular subjects? McCone. Well, I'm not sure that we got full information. The fact is we had very little information in our files. Well, the fact of the matter is that the CIA 201 file on Oswald contained 42 documents, a majority of them from the State Department. Records and the routing slips attached to them showed that the top CIA officials knew about Oswald's defection to the Soviet Union, his marriage to a Russian woman, his disillusion with life under communism, his return to Texas, his employment in 1962 at a place called Jaeger and Stowall, which did photography work for the United States government, classified work, his arrest for fighting with CIA-funded Cubans in New Orleans in 1963. McCone didn't bother to tell the Warren Commission that six top CIA officials had signed that they had seen the document from the Mexico City station saying that Oswald, or actually someone impersonating him, had visited the Mexico City Russian Embassy on October 1963. So first they tell you they didn't have the information, and now we find out they did have the information, but according to them, they didn't bother to do anything about it. And as General Schwarzkopf would say, that is bovine scatology. So every time there's some of these new documents released, They have to go back and revise the story, and they're hoping that you're not paying attention. CIA historian David Robards acknowledged that the CIA had withheld material evidence from the JFK investigators and the Warren Commission, but the CIA deception didn't compromise the Warren Commission report. The agency had engaged in a benign cover-up. And so now they tell us, okay, that's all the documents now. Don't ask for any more. That's it. Of course, that's not true. There are 44 documents that have been denied in full, and they involve this man named George Joannides, J-O-A-N-N-I-D-E-S. He was a CIA agent in New Orleans, and he was in charge of an operation in the summer of 1963 to discredit and destroy this Fair Play for Cuba committee that was operating out of New Orleans and Lee Oswald was a part of this covert operation. And this would also link Oswald to this Fair Play for Cuba committee. Now I'm going to play your recording from the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite the evening of November 22, 1963. Listen very closely to what Walter Cronkite says. Walter Cronkite with the CBS Evening News. John Fitzgerald Kennedy was assassinated today in the 46th year of his life and his third year as President of the United States. Oswald, as we said, was local chairman of the pro-Castro Fair Play for Cuba Committee. He went to Russia in 1959 saying he was relinquishing his United States citizenship. He returned last year complaining that he was disillusioned. Whether or not he ever actually did get Soviet citizenship is not clear. But he did marry while in Russia and is said to have one or two children. His wife is in this country with him and was taken to the police station this afternoon also. Oswald worked in the building where the murder weapon, a German-made Mauser rifle, was discovered. Oswald has been active in propaganda activities, as Bob Jones from station WWL-TV in New Orleans reports. 
This is Lee H. Oswald, October 16th in New Orleans, when he was handling out handbills for the Fair Play for Cuba Committee in front of the International Trademark. New Orleans police know Oswald well. On August 9th, he was arrested for disturbing the peace by creating a scene on the city's main Canal Street by also distributing these handbills. He resided in an apartment here from May 9th until August 20th when he slipped out in the middle of the night without having paid his rent. The apartment manager said he was quiet and talked to no one. They found several of these pamphlets lying around the apartment after he had left. This is Bob Jones, WWL-TV. So, and I think what is amazing here is they have all this information on Oswald in this very short amount of time. Walter Cronkite said that he was chairman of the New Orleans Fair Play for Cuba Committee, and of course, that is not true. And what did Cronkite say about the weapon found in the building? He said it's a German Mauser, not a Mannlicher Carcano. So here you have Oswald standing outside this trademark owned by this Clay Shaw, CIA. This is the guy who sent Oswald to the lawyer to try to get his discharge changed. And, of course, there just happens to be someone there filming this. Just a coincidence, of course. Don't spend the rest of your life on this. This was a CIA operation, a covert operation, designed to infiltrate and destroy this Fair Play for Cuba committee and these pro-Castro people, and it involved Lee Oswald. Whether it had anything to do with the assassination or not, probably not. But it sets Oswald up. They got him on film as a pro-Castro communist who defected to Cuba and came back, as Walter Cronkite said, but he doesn't seem to be bothered by that. So not only do they have him on film passing out these pro-Castro literature there on the streets of New Orleans, he goes on TV and he gives an interview. This is absolutely astounding. No, sir, I am not a communist, and uh, I think that the... Uh the uh, red herring and so forth is rather uh, uh, ridiculous to toss into this conversation. And are you a Marxist? Well, I have uh, studied Marxist philosophy, yes, sir, and also other philosophers. But are you a Marxist? I think you did admit on an earlier radio interview that you uh, that you consider yourself a Marxist. Well, I would very definitely say that I uh, I uh, am a Marxist. That is correct. But that, that does not mean, however, that I'm a, a uh, communist. What is the difference between the two? Well, there's a great deal of difference. That's several... Uh, American parties in several countries are based on Marxism, such as Ghana. Uh, Ghana. Uh, certain countries have uh, characteristics uh, of a socialist system, such as Great Britain with its uh, socialized medicine. Uh, these, then, are the differences between an outright communist country and countries which adhere to leftist or Marxist uh, uh, principles. In your work with the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, uh, what are you advocating? We advocate restoration of diplomatic trade and tourist relations with Cuba. Very articulate, seems to me, for a guy who supposedly never even graduated from high school. And here's another interesting CIA document. It's about an article from the New York Times on March 27, 1978. Ex-employee of agency tells panel that he heard Oswald was an operative in Japan in the 50s. A former finance officer for the Central Intelligence Agency has testified before the House Select Committee on Assassinations that his colleagues had told him that Lee Oswald was a secret operative for the agency in Japan in the late 1950s. The witness, James B. Wilcox, said he joined the CIA as a finance officer in 1957 and was sent to Tokyo in 1960. 
Wilcock told the House Select Committee on Assassinations that shortly after the assassination, he had a conversation with another CIA official, and the CIA official repeated an operation and said, these are the funds that went to the Oswald Project. And Wilcock had been the finance official who had distributed these funds, but he told the committee he could not remember the name of the operation. CIA officials have denied under oath having ever recruited, trained, or manipulated Oswald, and former senior officials of the agency have angrily denounced as irresponsible attempts to connect the agency to the assassination, and that James Wilcott was a low-level CIA employee and nothing that he said was factual. And they make sure that they point out that after Wilcott left the CIA, he spent some time in a mental institution. And I have Wilcott's testimony to the House Select Committee on Assassinations. You know I do. And it runs about 25 pages. Doesn't sound to me like he's a man with some kind of mental problems. He may have had some at some time. But he says it was routinely discussed by CIA employees after the assassination of Oswald's relationship with the CIA and that he had been set up to take the fall. He was the patsy that he said that he was. And, of course, there's still quite a few documents that have not been released. One, in fact, is closed-door testimony of CIA officers responsible for surveilling Oswald in Mexico City. That has never been released. And then you have this FBI report on this professional assassin. His name was Herminio Diaz. And he was identified by Cuban intelligence as being in Dealey Plaza on November 22, 1963. Diaz was a professional assassin with more than 20 murders. He was not working for Fidel Castro. As a matter of fact, in December 1963, he was involved in a plot to assassinate Castro. So the Cuban intelligence officers believed that this man was in Dealey Plaza on the day of the assassination. Okay, now here we go. Listen to this CIA document. This is from the Mexico City Station to headquarters, indicating that he's received information from a sensitive source that a Cuban Airlines flight to Havana had been delayed in Mexico City from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. on the day of the assassination. It was awaiting an unidentified passenger who arrived in a twin-engine aircraft and failed to go through customs. The passenger rode in the cockpit on the flight to Havana. This information was given to the Mexico City station by a source who was on the plane. So as you go through these documents, you can clearly see that there's something going on here involving the CIA. But like I've said before, this is a jigsaw puzzle the size of a football field, and you only get 40 or 50 pieces at a time, and you have to figure out where they go. And of course, they give you some pieces that don't belong. So you'll just, you know, throw up your hands and say, oh, you know, I've done with this. I can't spend the rest of my life on this. Richard Helms, who took over as director for the CIA after John McCone, testifying in front of Congress. So there is no material in the Central Intelligence Agency, either in the records or in the mind of any of the individuals, if there was any contact or even contemplating contact with Oswald. And so now they've had to come up with a whole new set of talking points. 
First of all, we had no, no information on Oswald, very little information on Oswald. And, of course, with the document released now, they have to say, well, yes, we had the information on Oswald. We had these documents on Oswald, but we never had any contact with him. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox, and I think that's from uh, mid-December. The CIA's murder of my uncle was a successful coup d'etat from which our democracy has never recovered. Oh, I bet they didn't like hearing that. And now here's another very interesting document. And this is what President Kennedy was talking about when he said the CIA and the military were out of control and he didn't know if he could get them back under control. And this was a plan called Operation Northwoods, and this was presented to the Secretary of Defense in 1962 for his approval. Get ready for this one, folks. This plan was put forth by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, called for fake and actual terrorist actions against the U.S. to be conducted by the U.S., but done in such a way that they could be blamed on Cuba. This would provide a pretext for launching a full-scale military invasion of the island nation and, and the removal of Fidel Castro. A Remember the main incident could be arranged in several forms. We could blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba. The Remember the main was, of course, the battleship Maine that was blown up in the Havana Harbor in 1899 which brought on the United States and Spanish War over Cuba. A terror campaign could be pointed at refugees seeking haven in the United States. We could sink a boatload of Cubans en route to Florida, real or simulated. Other ideas, including simulating a shoot-down of a U.S. civilian airliner in a convincing way, a convincing way to shoot down a U.S. airliner. I, I don't know how that's supposed to work. On March 16, 1962, at a White House meeting, General Lyman Limitzer told President Kennedy that the U.S. had contingency plans for invasion and plans for creating plausible pretext to the use of force. President Kennedy said bluntly that we are not discussing any use of military force. And, of course, this plan was rejected by Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara. And from the same document... This is called Operation Good Times. Concept, prepare desired photographs, such as an obese Castro with two beauties in any situation desired, ostensibly within a room within the Castro residence, lavishly furnished, and a table brimming over with the most delectable Cuban food, and an underlining caption such as, My rations are different. And, and distribute these photographs among the Cuban population. I can't do this anymore. And this was written by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It's too bad that Eric Idle and Michael Palin couldn't have gotten a hold of this because this would have been the greatest Monty Python skit ever. So what else is the CIA hiding? They're hiding what they've been hiding for the last 59 years. They're pre-assassination association with Lee Oswald and their sources and methods which relate to Lee Oswald and proof of a CIA operation involving Lee Oswald. And of course they tell you it's national security. Even after 59 years and everybody involved in this is dead, how can this be a national security issue? It's not. 
It's an issue of survival of the CIA. That is the issue. Now, there's a man named Joe Napolitano who used to be on Fox News. He was a federal judge, uh, and he had been on Fox News for a while, and he's a friend of Donald Trump. And he was asked recently in an interview that President Trump had promised to release all these documents, and then he backed away from it, and they asked this Judge Napolitano, do you have any idea why? And he said, President Trump told me, if you knew what was in these documents, you wouldn't release them either. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this episode, and we're going to continue on this, looking into these documents. I just sent a Freedom of Information Act request for Warren Commission document number 931, Lee Oswald's information about the U-2 spy program. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see if they actually send this to me. And we got some shout-outs to give you. know we do. We got Big Mike up in Ohio, always listening. We got Eddie over in White House. We got Bonnie Bridge, UK. It's in the Falkirk area of Scotland, and we sure appreciate you listening. All our friends over in the UK, Belgium, New Zealand, Australia, Germany, Halifax, Nova Scotia, North Bergen, New Jersey, and we appreciate everybody listening. Uh, you make this so much fun for me, and we will see you next time.